0: To ya, this is Rob and Lynn, and uh, pretty recently from Pennsylvania, right? In July, right? So six months, um, and moved out here, and it sounds like went to a church a lot like North Avenue when you were when you were up there for years, decades.
1: Oh, oh yes.
0: That's right. uh, tell us about your family. Well.
1: <clears throat> The yeah. We have uh, five kids, the oldest is 30, and uh, Jenna is our youngest, she's 15, so she's the only one with us, and so she goes to Jefferson High School, and we moved to this area partly because our son uh, wanted to get us down here. He's in sales, and he did a very good job, <laughs> yeah. and so here we are, but um, I'm an IT consultant and I can live anywhere, and so part of what we did was we sold and cashed out our house, and uh, here we are. I'm about a few years away from retirement, and so we're figuring out what the next steps are. But in the meantime, we found Jefferson with a good school district, and um, that's what my daughter's doing. And um, our oldest, again, is Josh, and we have Olivia, uh, Hunter, Hannah, who's in University, in Westchester University in, in the greater Philadelphia area, and then, of course, Jenna. So, and this, uh, we've been married since 1990. That's why uh, the email is Lynn Young 1990. I love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that one wasn't taken in Gmail. So um, that's enough. What, what do you want to add now? I'll put you on the spot. Go ahead. Um, Talk about your dad. Talk about. Uh, I taught school for a long time. I um, taught fifth and sixth grade. And then I was a substitute, but I'm having a knee replacement on Tuesday. Um, so if. think of it if you could pray for me that that would go well because it's um really hampered my ability to walk so i have both of them i have to get done eventually so that's coming up for me and um my dad had a great influence on my life and he passed away uh december 10th this past december so it's been an adjustment i'm i'm thrilled because he's with his savior so yeah there's no um lost that way but there's an earthly loss for me because i miss them greatly and my mom lives up in lancaster county and she's going to be coming down to visit pray for that too that's <laughs> good <be a> <laughs>
0: she come down to stay maybe you go you i don't know your son he's the salesman maybe yeah he yeah that's true get the grandson i, I don't
1: think that she's a former canadian and i think even Uh-oh. being down in pennsylvania is just Uh-oh. about as far too as far yeah as she can go so um but we'll see how about that anyways, and you it's good to be here
0: and your knee surgery is two days from right yes, it's tuesday, tuesday. Yes. okay good we'll definitely uh pray for that thank you so much Yeah, big rewards in heaven. when you say fifth sixth and substitute then that's just big rewards <laughs> in three it. different ways very great, so. <laughs> that's that's great really neat well good let me thank um, um our lord for the young family that has uh um joined us and for our study today and then we'll get busy father what a great uh joy it is to come before your throne lord we would uh confess that these are uh clear commands but um certainly hard to obey, and uh, we would, I imagine each of us would confess that we have missed it in the way we've loved others, I pray today, that we would be convicted and encouraged, uh, convicted of our sin, um, and encouraged to live a life more worthy of the gospel this week um, as we feast on these um, just great commands. Lord, we thank you for all of um, Romans that has shown us your love. And uh, now um, that you've given us application to know how to love others, um, even as our Lord Jesus um, loves us continually and, um, and so thoroughly. Lord, I thank you for the young family, bringing them uh, down from Pennsylvania. Uh, thank you that for uh, Jenna. Pray that she would thrive today in uh, Sunday school and that you would use um, all the Sunday school classes um, for your glory. I do pray that you would Um, use them in a powerful way in their ministry and I pray especially um, for Miss Lynn as she heads into surgery on Tuesday that it would be a success and that uh, it would help her to be able to uh, get back to walking quickly and Lord I uh, ask that you would just also use them as they'll have great chances for ministry and that this trial would bring perseverance and character and hope and make them even more mature and complete in Christ we are very grateful um, Lord for um, just the way you have obviously blessed and used them um, for years. We commit this day to you and our Saint School class to you. Um, Look forward to what you're going to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Grant's going to start us in um, from a little (laughs) bit back from 6 to 8. You might remember last week, we are, Stott says, he divides these things up into 12 things that we're going to, 12 kind of categories, components he calls them, um, about love. That it's to be sincere, uh, discernment, affection, um, to honor. Except he puts an extra U in honor. That shows you're across the pond when you do that. Enthusiasm, patience, generosity, hospitality, goodwill, sympathy, harmony, humility. Um, wow. We've seen God's love. If you, and not just... Take your time here, Grant. But look back in, if you would, chapter 5, just as a reminder. Look at the way God loves us. Um, 5, 5, 5, 8. I mean, we can look for probably all afternoon at this, but uh, look at the uh, maybe starting in 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So certainly because God's love has been poured into our hearts, we're able to love others Um, in that same way. That's what we're challenged to do today. Remember verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we know that this is a relentless, white-hot love that's coming after us. Look in chapter 8 at the end. Uh, Super familiar, but never... Gets old, 35. Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am sure, don't you love that statement? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, um, Grant, help us, maybe if you would read the passage uh, starting in verse 6, back to chapter 12, um, maybe starting verse 6 all through the, the end of the chapter and, and uh, then help us to kind of remind us where we came from here. Okay, sounds good
2: Uh, Maybe I can pray and we can get started? That'd be great. Heavenly Father, thank you for a passage such as this that gives us sound instruction for how we should live in light of your mercies to us and your love of us. Um, Father, I pray that um, our discussion and study today would be fruitful, um, that it would bear fruit in our lives in the coming weeks, and that it would not just be intellectual, but that it would be... um, helping us to renew our minds, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so uh, maybe just finishing up with the gifting stuff from last time in 6 to 8, and then we can get started in the passage for today, 9, through the end of the chapter. And Jerry, I don't I don't have a lot, but I'll just go through what I thought maybe a little bit helpful in light of what we ended with last time. And so basically Paul is saying whatever gifts that you have, everybody has <laughs> gifts uh, deferring from one another. Could be some on this list. It could be others. Um, do them well. Do them with competence. And do them with the right attitude, mindset. Uh, not thinking more highly than you ought, but thinking with sober judgment. So if you're teaching, uh, do that well. If you're doing exhortation, do that well. Generosity. Uh, if you do, if you contribute, do it with generosity if you show acts of mercy with cheerfulness so the right mindset and the right heart with the talents that we have serving God through loving his people and so I ended last time by saying that there is no room for the person who only receives from the congregation of God's people all are required for the proper functioning of the body and all rely on one another so there's some thing that you have that is totally necessary for the body to be built up in love whether it's encouragement teaching exhortation Um, hospitality, discussion, council, whatever it may be, there is something that you can be contributing. And so I just thought really quickly before we move on to nine, um, I ended with that and I just thought I would say three things for what would be the next step to do if you're trying to figure out how can I best serve the Lord by using my talents to love God's people? What's the next step? You know, What's the next rung on the ladder to figure that out? And so I would say that the next step would be um, how to identify to use my gifting not for myself but for God loving the body through the talents that you have is how we serve God with our gifts and so to do that I would say find a good church um, like this one or one similar to it um, and then after serious thought and discernment join that church as a member and then start serving in whatever capacity is available in the areas that you feel you have a talent or are most interested in and then I feel like this one is crucial um i know it has been for me is find a good and trusted friend who is not a cynic but who will give you honest feedback and encouragement without flattery Uh, in my opinion this is invaluable when identifying your gifts uh, and then engaging those gifts in the service of others so that we do it with increasing skill and competence that would be my two cents on on what to do next yeah for that
0: and you got haley and josh yeah, well, Haley yeah, and Josh, one-two
2: combo. For yeah, sure. that's that is as that's good. A good you
0: can't beat that combo. Yeah, um, honestly, that yeah. just seems wise, Josh. When you're thinking of verse nine, and uh, and we all have love this verse. What's your what's your thought there before we hear from Carter on that?
3: Yeah, I think. Th- you know, when we're moving into this section, Paul kind of works through a staccato of phrases, you know, let love be genuine, or abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and continues to kind of work through the function of love and how it works out in the Christian community with one another, with believers, and then uh, with those that are likely not believers. But maybe just I'll hit a few quick things so we can get to Carter, but... Um, Love seems to be what's characterizing this whole section. And Paul doesn't necessarily exhort the believers in Rome to love, but he almost presupposes that they will love one another. And the, the force of his argument here is to say, let it be genuine. Let it be sincere. And we might could say everything that follows here is, uh, is a mark of true, genuine, sincere love. For one another, John Stott said, "Each ingredient adds a special component to Paul's recipe for love." And you see, it's not sentimentality; it's not just a, maybe an internal feeling, but it's an action. There's there's functions here to this love. And um, I read this quote in the in one of the commentaries. I'm helped by the commentaries every week, but this quote from Calvin to me was especially piercing. And I'll just read it. Calvin said, It is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are to pretend a love which they really don't have. For they not only deceive others, but also themselves. They persuade themselves. They really love those. They not only neglect, but also slight. And I think I read that quote, and I'm reading through everything here in these verses, and I'm, you know, almost letting this be a gauge and an evaluative tool for, do I really love other people? And I think this can be one way we apply this text. There's many applications, but as a metric, so to speak, of are we loving our brothers? Are we acting in accordance with how God wants Christians to act and conduct ourselves? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Certainly, you love each other well, Jesse. It might reminds me of the guy that you were reading about. You know, where that we can almost put on a a show or a front to say we're loving others, but are we? But are we really that? Only that agape love. That twenty five commands here, MacArthur says there are of uh, what that agape love looks like. That Agape love that God's loved us with. Carter, what'd you find about nine? Um, my
4: first coming to nine. It just—it struck me just because um, it's immensely sort of uh, terrifying um, coming up against this because this is a standard that the Lord holds up, and He will not lower the bar um, for any Christian anywhere. And so, like, seeing where Paul is moving here in, in verse 9, we see this is where Christianity gets real. And this is not um, any ground to trifle with, and... It, I think it's really important and is deeply convicting when um, I started studying it. So, And what Paul is doing is he's laying out for us what is required of us now in light of being purchased by Christ. What does that mean? And what does that mean in terms of what is required of us? So these qualities, like beginning in verse verse 9 and all the way through the rest of the chapter, um, the qualities that Paul lays out or the application the points of application that he lays out, they directly characterize true believers and they, dis, they distinguish believers from everyone else in the world. These are things that set apart. These are things that characterize someone who is complete, who is holy, who is other than, um, other than the world. And so just on that point I just have a few cross-references that I think speak to the um, to love in verse nine where Paul says let love be genuine if we go to John thirteen thirty five I think I have it here. John thirteen thirty five this sort sure of goes along the context that Paul's drawing at, at the beginning of um This section in Romans, so love in the context of the body of Christ, having a love for the brethren, having a love for those who are redeemed by Christ, who share the same hope, the same faith. And in verse 35 of John 13, Jesus himself says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. This sets you apart. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for for one another. It's the same word, agape the same love that Paul uses here in 12. And there's another um, more um, recognizable passage in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Paul says in verse 1 of 13, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but don't have love, it will profit me nothing. And then you go all the way down to verse 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And if you go forward just a little bit in Romans 13:8, 13, 8, just right after, right after chapter 12, Paul says... Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. and that's tremendous in and of itself. And in Galatians 5:22 it's a very, I think is very important to go to at this point. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. and what's the number one on the list? Love. Love is number one on the list. And I think one one last cross-reference that I want to go to is 1 John 3, 14. And John says this. 1 John 3:14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not he who does not love abides in death. So He says, I mean, what characterizes if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're truly found in Christ? And that is you love the brethren. You love all those who have genuine love and faith, who bank everything on Christ. You are found to possess saving faith. You're found salvation is seen. The genuineness of your faith is seen in your love for those who love Christ. And when he says abides in death in First John 3, this means you're still lost. If you have no love, if your heart is cold towards believers, you're still lost. You're unconverted. You're spiritually unresponsive to God. You're spiritually dead. And you have not one ounce of spiritual life in you if you do not love others, if you don't love the brethren. And I think this, translate what, this translates well to what uh, Paul is saying in, in um, Romans twelve nine. So, I just wanted to just begin with the cross-references and then go straight to verse 9. Let love be genuine. So, if you have not love, I think the first thing we can do is um, define love by what it is not. And love is not characterized by selfishness. It is not characterized by self-focus or self-absorption. It is... Not that. Love is not that. The mark of a true believer is that you have true love for those in Christ. So, what does that mean? What is love? What does it mean to have love for your brothers? What does it mean to have love for those who love Christ? Well, love is sacrificially giving of yourself and seeking the greatest good of another. It's selfless, it's self sacrificial. It's not all about yourself, it's self forgetfulness and it's humility. So, Love is giving and not taking. Lust is characterized by taking, but not love. Love is giving and it is costly. And love is always comes at a high cost to yourself. So it's selfless, self-giving, self-denying, self-forgetfulness, and it's sacrificial. And it's the epicenter of the Christian life. I mean, it's what... What greater love has anyone than this that he lays down his life for his friends? Jesus goes over, over and over. He talks about the love that the brothers have for one another and the love that, um, as we'll see later, that uh, believers are supposed to extend to even those who hate us, even if our love goes to those who ultimately want harm to come upon us. So it's the epicenter of the Christian life. And that's why we must all the more understand um, and underscore what it is and why it's important. And genuine love promotes another's best interest. And this is where it gets really convicting because how on earth can anyone serve another person's own self-interest? How can you build someone else up at the cost of yourself? How can you affirm them, help them, exhort them? All these things at the cost of yourself if you have not been transformed by the grace of God, if you have not been redeemed and rescued by Christ. So just getting in the brunt of it, in verse 9, Paul starts peeling back the onion and talking about specific ways and how we're to love one another. And if, we're, if we aren't loving others like this, it's because we haven't presented ourselves to God as holy and living sacrifices, as he said in the beginning of verse tw- in chapter 12. So if we don't have this love within us, we have not presented ourselves to God as a holy and living sacrifice. Presenting ourselves as holy and living sacrifice means it leads to something. It doesn't lead to nothing. It doesn't lead to um, just some sort of complacency. It leads to serving others, and it, it leads to a giving up of something in and of ourselves for the benefit of someone else. So 9A, I think you said before that Stott, gave the this portion a uh, one word summary and that sincerity. And I just wanted to talk about this because in verse 9 let love be genuine it could actually been be translated um let love be without hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Let or the the real translation is basically love without hypocrisy. That's basically the was being said here. And real love is without hypocrisy, which means it's without disguise. And love never fakes it. It's never untrue. It's never dishonest. And I think it was helpful that um, Stephen Lawson describes this ancient uh, form of entertainment in which the actors, they would memorize their lines, go through through hearty discipline to memorize certain lines, to go up on the stage, and before they'd go on stage, they'd put on a mask. So the mask would have like a crying face, a weeping face, uh, um, emphatically happy face, something like that. They'd go on stage and they would perform in front of this mass audience. And when they would perform in front of this mass audience, they would obviously be taken on the role of someone else, the character of someone that obviously isn't them. And when the performance was over, the the actors would take off the masks once they got behind the stage and then go back to life as normal, go back to life as if, you know, nothing within the play was true. Nothing of it mattered. It was just simply for the entertainment of the crowd. And Paul is saying here much, what Paul is saying here is that love can't be like that. Because who was Hippocrates? He's the play actor. Love cannot be like that. And this cannot characterize the love that we all have for one another one another in Christ. So we can't show up to church with a mask on. And we can't show up to these events that we put on and pretend to be someone that we're not. And we can't fake spirituality. We can't fake a love for Christ, a sincere and genuine love for Christ, if he has genuinely saved us. Christ did not die for play actors. He didn't die for unreal um, actors who pretend to be believers. That's that's not the way we're to go- conduct ourselves in love. That is not love. It's not real. And love is not fake. So real love isn't just mere words. It's not merely putting on a show, showing people how religious we are, how how in sync with doctrine we are. That is not it. Real love is authentic and it's honest and it's real. Real love is real. Real in expressions of concern. Concern over sin in other believers' lives. Concern over suffering that comes upon us uh, comes upon others. Real love is expressed in true expressions like when you tell someone that you're going to pray for them, you mean it. You don't... You don't just say it merely to avoid some socially uh, uncomfortable situation. It's not just a social norm that you have to abide by. When you ask someone how they're doing, you mean it because they love Christ and they're your brother or sister, and Christ died for them. You are actually interested in them. You're actually concerned over their fight with sin. If they're being complacent, if they're going through the slew of despond, you're not just indifferent to that. Real love is characterized in real expressions of concern, encouragement, and praying for people and asking how they're doing. The only way we're able to serve sincerely is through the power of the Spirit of Truth. We cannot truly love without the Spirit of Truth. We can't just go about life and and love people like this naturally. This does not come like we were talking about in the room beforehand. This does not come naturally. It's extremely difficult, and it's impossible to love others at the cost of ourselves. But this is what we're commanded to do, and Christ will not command us to do something without supplying us the strength that we need to do it. And I just want to look at another place. In Matthew 6, it's just a profound example of what we've been going through, too, in Matthew 6. In the main service, um, as we've been slowly marching through Matthew, I'm just going to begin reading. And Jesus is warning us of a particular type of people who have an idea of love that is incorrect. Beware of practicing your righteousness. This is Jesus talking himself. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, and they may, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you may be, that, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what characterizes this person, these religious leaders of the day who are supposed to be the example? They were play actors. They were putting on a show and they got their reward. They were seen by an audience their act was for the audience alone, and their reward was just merely to be, to, um, be praised by men. It was all a show, and Paul is telling us here in in twelve nine of Romans that this cannot be us. If we're found in Christ, this cannot be us. This love does not characterize the body of Christ, and Paul is telling us that we cannot do that. That does that is not the love that Christians. Um, love with that is not characterized love that we have for one another, especially among the brethren. <clears throat> so, and nine B, I think, or does did y'all have anything on nine A? Do you know say?
2: Uh, that was really good, Carter. I, I mean, I have a couple things. I think they're just sort of repeating what you said because that was really good. Because um, I think it's very easy to say. It's easier to define love by saying what it isn't but I thought your description of what it actually is was very helpful because when I first read this I thought let love be genuine or not hypocritical that, I don't think I'm that way You know, usually I feel like my love is genuine but then when I started thinking through that man, probably it's the opposite genuine agape love is not normal it's, it's unusual and we just read it in Romans 5 what that encompasses and so the assumption would be love can be hypocritical it can be a Judas kiss Uh, the pretense of love when it is really self-service. And, Carter, you went through this really well, but uh, there's a way to positively interact with someone with it not being genuine love but simply self-service for yourself and positive attention for them. Uh, And we do it all the time, sort of a social win-win instead of genuine love and care for that person because genuine love is harder, uh, like you said, Carter, because it has no thought for if it will be reciprocated or if it will be beneficial to us socially or emotionally. And I was just thinking that's usually how we categorize who we're going to talk to, who we're going to be friends with. Does it serve some sort of emotional thing? I like being around them. I like the conversations I have. and None of that stuff is totally bad, but it, it doesn't encompass true agape love for that person. It's sort of a social and emotional crutch for yourself, uh, and it's self-serving. Um, and like you said, Carter, the, the agape love seeks the utmost good for someone. And, and like you said, it's not natural. So I don't think it can really flourish apart from intense prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not something that we're naturally built for. But anyway, just go ahead with 9, 9B. Okay.
4: No, um, yeah, that was good. But in 9B, look to what this is all, like you said before, Josh, that love is sort of this let love be genuine let it be without hypocrisy is like the header above everything that follows mm-hmm. so what um is linked to love or what is love what is this this um heading over let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good and if this doesn't characterize true biblical love then what does and non-be abhor what is evil by li- by this we learn true love despises the evil that harms others, and especially that harms our fellow believers and our family in Christ. <clears throat> so, um, the this evil that is talked about in nine B it it actually harms those loved ones, the actual family of God, the family who Christ has redeemed, and sin is not. Sin is never self-contained. If we have s- external sin, whether it's external evil coming in upon us or whether it's internal evil festering within us, it's all going to eventually permeate and it's going to affect and harm the believers around us. And so just in experience with sin and, and failing miserably so often and many times in my life, I can see how that affected my attitude and how I how I interacted with fellow believers, I was hindered in my ability to mutually encourage, to build up, and the self-absorption sort of kicked in to where I was driven to self-loathing or self-just self-focused and just because that sin draws you in on yourself and thinking about all these things and it harms the body and it does no good to the body and does harm to those whom christ has redeemed and it does it does harm and stunts the growth of the believer so sin is is pervasive it's like a weed and it captures everything and it tries to choke it out at every point that you that it can and this is why that True love seeks to abhor what is evil and pluck out the weeds of sin within our own hearts, not only within our own hearts, but the most loving thing that we can do once the log has been picked out of our own eyes, Jesus said, is to see and just completely, genuinely, and sincerely be concerned with the sin of your, of your brother, the sins of fellow believers. Don't just let them wallow in the mire of some... Um, some sin you you're actually concerned for them you want them to grow and you don't want them just to be stunted by that and you want them to seek repentance you're you want yourself to seek repentance from sin and also your brother so that you most that you would both um be mutually built up iron sharpening iron that sort of thing so true love is having a, a deep concern over the sins not only of yourself but of other believers and your other brothers <clears throat> And this is, I mean, is it not also a genuine character and attribute of Christ to abhor what is truly evil? We can see this in Hebrews 1. Jesus abhors evil. God obviously abhors evil. Jesus is God, so that would be one and the same. God the Father hates evil. They're one. The Spirit is grieved by sin, grieved by evil. And just, you know, just to put it another way, any sincere doctor that loves his patients, will make war on disease. He will make war on the disease and the, and the illness and the sickness. So this completely translates to our growth and sanctification. If we abhor what is evil, if we are continuing to grow in our knowledge and love of Christ, we will see a continual growth in the knowledge of how deceptive sin is and how evil, true, how truly evil sin is. And, I mean we've talked about it before, just how we how the longer we spend looking at Christ and growing in our knowledge of him, the more we understand how deeply dark our own evil is, how deeply dark sin is That's, I mean growth in sanctification is characterized by that that growing in holiness, growing in godliness, a growing, growing hatred of sin um, you want do you have any more to say about abhorring evil oh. I think that's really good, Carter. Um, I would say
2: that maybe just to come at it from a different angle, that was really helpful, um, that love doesn't mean we can stand for nothing, that we need to just conform to everybody's whims, that that's the true loving thing to do is to not oppose someone. Um, In fact, right after we're commanded to have genuine love, we are told to hate, which can be a little confusing, but we're told to hate what is evil and to hold fast to what is good, and this shows intense feelings, stances, resistance, and opposition to the forces of the world. Um, Protection of the weak, I think, necessarily means opposition to something, if we are to protect those that are weak. Uh, True love in a sinful world will mean conflict. No one loves like Christ loves, and he had much conflict. Uh, R.C. Sproul said it this way, Today we see a false understanding of love manifested most commonly in romantic relationships. Many people justify adultery by saying that they no longer love their spouse but love another person. People often justify homosexual relationships by saying as long as two people love each other, their genders do not matter. But God says that adultery and homosexual partners and many other relationships are evil, and those engaging in them are not practicing true love. So we see this balance between well, not a balance, but we see that true love is not just sen- sentimentality, as you said, Josh, but it will necessarily mean we have stances on things that will cause conflict. And Christians all the time are accused of not being loving, but we see that that definition of love has gotten hijacked, and it's assumed to be something totally different than what Carter um, has been defining for us. It's uh, wanting the utmost good for something in regards to what God has said is true, and so there will be necessarily conflict if we are to abhor what is evil and have genuine
0: love for one another. Josh, you like 10.
3: Yeah, I can just say a few quick things on 10. You see Paul continuing to work through this description of genuine, sincere love. And uh, one of the first characteristics he says here in 10 is to love with brotherly affection. And then he goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor and um, I have two brothers I love them a great deal anytime I get the chance to see them there's a warm embrace we love to be around each other and I think anyone uh, with close relationships with their siblings gets this immediately and I think you begin to feel their pains their sorrows and also their joy and Paul is saying this is to characterize the love for the Roman believers and And then for us also as a a local church. Uh, And then he goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. And uh, I think Boyce had some helpful things, but the gist of what he's saying here is we don't wait around for praise or uh, someone to notice something that we do. We're kind of on the hunt looking for uh, ways to honor other people, how to build them up. And uh, this is so contrary, I think, to how we naturally operate. We, we want to be praised. We want to be noticed and recognized for what we do and what we say. But Paul is saying that the true characteristic of love is to be on the lookout to honor others. I'll just read this really quick from Boyce. Um, <clears throat> if I can find it here. Um, he says this is how true love functions it gets to the front of the line not to receive its own honors but to show honor and respect for other people and um, I, I thought that was a great way of putting how that works out in verse 10
0: well, that's great when you look at verse 11 do not be slothful in um, zeal and so to be fervent Macarthur says that means to boil in spirit. You know that when you see somebody fervent and they're they're going at it, serving the Lord. Number eight, number nine was to rejoice in hope. Um, verse twelve, sometimes I think about sums up. Uh, we obeyed those three commands in verse twelve: rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be consistent in prayer, persevere in tribulation, be patient in affliction. Is is the idea there. We read it. Carter took us, I think, to Romans 5 and uh, 3 through 5 where we look at, you know, that that we'll persevere, be devoted in prayer. We pray without ceasing. We cast our cares on Him. We're anxious for nothing but everything through prayer and petition. letter request requests be made known um, to God. Mark's going to talk about being anxious today and how we can fight that. I think prayer is on the other side of anxiety. Um, always a hard one to... Uh, to, to grow in and to be consistent in. Um, contribute to the needs of the saints. Verse 13. You guys as a church do a tremendous job of that. And uh, and then seek to show hospitality. I asked Carter, the, um, the chronics are unbelievable at being hospitable. There are a lot of people in our church that are. Like we have in Madison County, for our community group, there's a lot of people that want to host every month so we got like a eight group rotation got to do it every eight months no matter what tell us about the chronics though because this their place is like a little sanctuary for you guys
4: <laughs> yeah um, the chronics have been immensely <laughs> hospitable to us in the past few months just because uh, Josh started a training or was it Bible boot camp and He challenges us to memorize passages of Scripture and to combine that with physical exercise so that we work out our bodies as well as our minds, and constantly renewing our minds and that sort of thing. It's immensely encouraging to get to see him and Sam lead, and just um, we walk through a passage of Scripture and just talk about it, and just the fellowship that we have and and the um, affections that we've had for one another have grown so immensely. And Haley has been so,
0: so, um, she's the hero of this whole thing when we get right down to it.
4: She is very humble and she, she just does these impeccable acts of service. And she, I mean, she gives us her finest china like we were kings and just gives us this, she gives everyone their desired portion of whether it's decaf coffee or, Um, hot chocolate she serves us dinner on tuesdays and thursday nights just providing for us they say it's just because they go to costco they get great deals and they have too much food so they need to get rid of it so um
0: (laughs) forget like monday and wednesday though and every other sunday and a few saturdays don't forget those days like it's not just tuesday and thursday with you
4: it's not it's not it's many days out of the week but they have sustained us and Helped us to grow and just have asked us very penetrating questions every time, and they give us something to think about every time. And and just their their patience with their children and just learning how they manage their household is just it's something to see. So yeah. it's been really, it's really. Um, I feel like it's provided a great um, environment to to grow and knowledge of things on a real level.
0: Yeah, and then Jared took uh, Josh <laughs> seriously about memorizing some passages and just memorized all the epistles. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's been a neat a neat deal. When you look at that, uh, a real example of practice, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. they're 14 and 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, there was, I, it takes me back to, I don't know, maybe the 90s. There, everybody in Nebraska, has hail insurance on their corn because it hails every year. I asked dad if I could take hail insurance on his corn. I was like I don't know a better investment. He collected seven years in a row. I don't think he let me. I guess that's insurance fraud maybe but he said that there was one time that wind came through. It wasn't hail, wind. Three farmers that I know of had wind insurance like just happened to buy it and you would think oh man everybody's going to be really happy because these three farmers had wind insurance and they collected tons of money because all their corn blew down. That wasn't the case. In the coffee shop, those guys were getting butchered. Why? You can't rejoice with those who rejoice very well, right? Cheering for the other guy. I wish you could have met my dad. He was king of cheering for the other guy. He loved it when something good happened to somebody. And so who finds it? Because it's rejoice with those who rejoice Mourn with those who mourn. If you're finding one easier than the other, I'm just curious about this. I love this in class when people, which do you find easier? Is it easier for you? You got to vote for one or the other. Okay. Got to, can't just vote for neither. Which is it easier to do? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Who would say it's easier to do that one? Six and a half. Who would say mourn with those who mourn? Who's it easier to do that? Really? Four. So that means we have 12 people that aren't voting. Um, yeah. I would love to be able to mourn with those who mourn like those of you who do. That's just so neat to me. It's easier to rejoice with those who rejoice. Easier to do that. And I, and I guess some of that's a giftedness or a, or whatever, but, boy, those are, are, those are great commands. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Um, do not be partial. Live in harmony with one another. I think folks at North Avenue do that. I love that. You wouldn't. You would never want someone. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. I know you feel they can feel like that in our outside world. Like there's a different levels on the totem pole socially, kind of right? In the church, that should never be. There, everybody is on the same. We're all level at the foot of the cross. And so the idea would be that no no one should ever feel like they're higher or lower on that. Um, I know I have a bad story of my own sin at at, uh, wanting to call somebody at Surfside Prez before we moved out here. Um, I I wanted to call a family that they came to visit, and I really was excited to call them because they looked like they were right out of the Sears catalog and they had all kinds of... uh, stuff that we could really use as a church there was this older couple i thought i should call them we probably should want them to come back but i just think i mean this is terrible i just thought they might be a little high maintenance they might just take a lot of our time and, and and it was a really reminder of just sinful um thought about that never pay evil for evil um and uh one last thought um, on this there, he gives those four negatives in 19 to 21 um, in negative imperatives followed by the four positive counterparts um, there and uh, beloved never avenge yourself but leave it for the wrath of God I remember Mark saying this and, it, and it's stuck with me is that we really can tell how much we trust God by how much we want to take revenge if we want to take revenge then we're not trusting God we just have to trust god if someone wrongs you grant how many times in proverbs to overlook an insult right there's that kind of um that kind of mindset that we just need to overlook some things trust that god'll take care of it and uh, be quick to forgive and and so these passages here right at the end are really good to that and not just forgive i love 21 do not be overcome by evil but what overcome evil with good. So pile on the good um, and those are kind of, those 25 commands um, are really good. Any final thoughts from you guys on those? Josh, would you ask the Lord to help us to do the, the unnatural? That's the thing and Carter laid that out for us pretty well, I think, is these are supernatural things but we have a supernatural God who's producing in us these fruit of the spirit, especially love, that we see here. And um, next week, Lord willing, we will tackle chapter 13, 1 to 7, about um, the government and, and uh, how we we'll respond to the governing authorities, which is good too. Josh,
3: Father, thank you for this teaching. I pray that our lives would be marked by genuine and sincere, non-hypocritical love. And I pray that Your Spirit would work and convict us where we need to. Con- be convicted and that we would repent and uh, know that you will provide the grace and help us to be obedient to these commands. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would be at the main service today. Speak through Mark as he preaches and be with our worship. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.